Laurel, tell us about the weather in the UK at the moment. <laughs> um, as you can imagine, it's overcast, little drizzly and yeah. cold. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what time is it there? Because it's 6 a.m. here um, in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So it is 7 p.m. Monday night. So, mm. yeah. So we are <laughs> 11 hours in front. Because mm-hmm. you're already yeah. on Tuesday, right? Mm, sure yeah. are. Yeah. Sure <laughs> are. So we're going to talk about healing trauma after divorce, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit yeah. about you. What What exactly, on paper, what are you yeah. known for? Yeah. Um, you know, I so I kind of came to this. Do you want to just to share how I came to this in essence? Would that be helpful? Yeah. Um, I split with a partner super early on in my first daughter's life. She was a year. And um, just the excruciating pain of that split, having such a young child, but then also then carrying on and having to parent that child um, very young in a shared custody way and going through pretty brutal battles, um, court-related, mediation-related, lawyer this, lawyer that kind of breaks you down over time. Mm. And I think actually as a mother, I assume as a father too, when you get to that point of having to actually realize you don't get to spend all this time with your kid. Yep. Um, there's a real traumatic experience that happens like on a somatic deep level, like that, Mm. that's, that came from you. Like, what do you mean? I don't get, I don't get her. Um, and so, so you, you sort of feel that loss. You feel the loss of your relationship. Even if it was a toxic relationship, you still feel the loss of it. Mm. Then you feel the loss of this kid. So it was just loss after loss. Then it was a number of other losses in my life. And I just came to this point of trauma wrecks you. And actually, we have to rebuild. There is yeah. a rebuilding process that actually has to happen. Sure. Um, it kind of yeah. destroys your nervous system over time. And I think it destroys more than your nervous system. Like it destroys your outlook on life. It's like maybe everything starts to feel like the UK weather, like wet and cold <laughs> and overcast. <laughs> so it's like after a point, you're like, no, like this is not living. This is just like getting through somehow and getting through somehow just is not where it's at for me. So mm-hmm. I dove into a lot of trauma processing techniques, spirituality, mm-hmm. personal growth. I mean, all of it, esoteric studies, occult sciences, like all of it just kind of jumped in. Yeah. So with what yeah. you do, you weave in <clears throat> spirituality in with psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Why do yeah. you do that? Well, what benefit do you see for the client? So I see the benefit for the client that I see that it had for me, um, which was that when there is, when it's just me, I'm like, I don't feel like I have the strength Mm. to, to get through what I need to get through Mm. in the really dark times. And so for me, like I had to explore that there, there had to be a part of me that was greater and stronger and more capable than just this physical body. Like there was an energy that I had to try to tap into because I felt sort of so depleted on an energetic physical level that I was like, this can't be it. Like there's gotta be something else. And so that's what drew me into, I mean, first it was the course of meditation and then it was visualization and then just actually starting to learn how to feel this like very mystical presence of something larger 
than me that I could tap into and use as a resource. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing, you're like, when you're in a session with someone and Mm -hmm. you're going through obviously what's happened with them, Mm -hmm. how do you apply the spiritual side of it into the healing process? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a number of ways, but a couple that come up to speak about right now is that I often get visuals and I receive sort of energetic sensations and experiences when I'm with the client. And I'll speak directly to that. It doesn't always ring true for the client. And sometimes it really rings true. But what it does do is it opens a conversation beyond just what do you want to work on today or what's up for you today? So I may say something like, hey, you know, what's coming in really strong for me is like, I'm not really sure why. Tell me a response to it, like this feeling of or this image of. Mm. And then that leads the conversation into a, a place that it wouldn't normally go if we were in a super heady cognitive space. So that's one way that it'll come up. Um, I am highly intuitive, although I don't call myself an intuitive coach because I don't want clients to come in relying on me for that. Yeah. Um, but there is an intuitive way that I work. The other way that I use, I use art a lot in my work. And so I'll have clients have um, crayons or pens or colored pencils and paper next to them. And we'll work with colors and we'll work with actual images that start to come up and we'll work with how our physical being is responding to certain colors and what we're putting on a page. It could be words, it could be images, but what essentially we're doing is we're tapping into a deeper part of our of ourself, an unconscious part that's able to come forward. Um, and then another way that I'll work with that is using something called EMDR, mm. eye movement desensitized reprocessing. And it's a form of trauma processing that uses the eyes to stimulate the brain hemispheres bilaterally. And that brings forward a lot from the, from the subconscious. Welcome to this short ad break. Not sure if you're aware, but I'm a personal trainer and have been for years now. So if you like the idea of training and being educated on how to eat for better health, then maybe it's time to hire me as your personal coach. You can start feeling confident, self-assured and healthy again, so you can attract the best kinds of lovers and friendships into your life today. You can apply for online or face-to-face coaching with me, where I will take you through a hybrid fitness system that covers the three pillars to success, where I take you through the deep work of mindset principles and help you achieve breakthroughs, guide you to understand meal preparation for your goals and customize your weight training program to help you build a healthy physique that you can be proud of. Find the application link in the show notes of this episode. Back to the show. What can you tell from that EMDR? Mm -hmm. Well, what is that? Can you look at someone and go, right, their eye movement is doing this. So this is the result of that. How does it actually work? Yeah. So for EMDR, I can't tell from the eye movement necessarily what's happening, Mm. but what happens is I'll say a client will have kind of like a jumping off point. So let's say a client was coming to me with, I'm just going to make something up right now. Um, I got an email from, from my partner. It really triggered this intense anger in me. I'm stuck in it. I can't get out of it. I feel terrible. I feel sad. I feel hopeless. So then let's say that's what the client's bringing to session. I'll be like, all right, describe to me the feelings of all of that in the body. Where do you feel it? Then they'll pinpoint it to the body. Then we'll really hone in on that. Then I'll ask them, so what's the belief system that's emerging from that? So we're working now with the body and the head, right? 
Show me, tell me where in the body you feel it. Now jump up here to the head. What's the belief system that this feeling or this situation is essentially creating? So let's say it's like anger in the chest, anxiety in the chest, darkness in the chest. The belief system is um, this, this will never end or I'm worthless. Then I'll use EMDR. That's what the client holds and focuses on. And we'll use EMDR to, and the client will follow back and forth with their eyes Mm. for about a minute. And out of that will emerge a new feeling, Mm. a different thought, a memory or another experience. And so in this way, we're sort of tracking or mapping out of the body, the initial traumatic response to that email or that encounter that that client came to session wanting to talk about that they had with their partner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How effective is it? This kind of treatment. (laughs) So effective. I mean, EMDR, I I think it was developed in the early eighties. And the clinical studies are on it are phenomenal. And I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer in it at this point. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And it, it, and I think what it does is it helps regulate the nervous system mm. and it moves stuff out really fast. So like, you know, if you're in a car accident and you feel really shaky for a couple of weeks after you get in the car, yeah, EMDR is something that can literally help that map and move out of your body um, because you're essentially reprocessing the traumatic response. Yeah. And then normally how many mm-hmm. sessions do you think someone would generally need if it works that quickly, mm-hmm. generally uh, only a couple to move out? Yeah, to- only a couple. I mean, a couple to, right. We never get rid of memory and we never get rid of our trauma, right? We can't erase anything, but just a couple sessions to essentially desensitize the, the, um, response that we have the yeah. nervous system response yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah now if we're looking yeah. at people that are coming out of divorce mm-hmm. what are some of the traumas relative to that mm-hmm. do you want to use your own sort of divorce <clears throat> as an example I can. Houses? no I'll use mine it's probably yeah that's just a little bit more personable um okay abandonment rejection I think scar- scarcity so like Um, a lot of money issues come up out of it. Um, how am I going to provide for myself or the kids or whatever a kid, Mm. um, often divorce can be incredibly expensive, um, loss of connections, whether that, you know, everything splits in divorce, right? Friendships splits, Mm. um, friendship groups split, family relationships split this bizarre phenomenon that everybody thinks they have to take sides Mm. um, rather than see things from both sides. So yeah, I think scarcity, rejection, abandonment, fear of loss, feeling financially really strange, destitution, not lovable. And then I think one of the hardest things that happens is when your ex moves on and you haven't, and there's this feeling of weight, like they they beat me to something. They mm. got out of this faster. They won. It's not necessarily true, right? Because we have no idea how long that new relationship is going to last for that person. But our experience is like, and they and they won. Like somehow they got where I wanted to get. Mm. Um, so again, we feel a sense of loss. Um, I'm trying to remember any questions about that. I, I think those were the main ones for me. Do you think do you think those that move on so quickly just don't want to really do the work? Like they can mask, absolutely they can mask yeah. the fact that they've moved on, 
but really they've parked their emotions and like, I'm not actually dealing with this. I'm going to just get over this by getting under someone new, you know, which is a lot easier to do than to sit with your darkness and do the shadow work and go, no, I'm actually, I've got to break this pattern here. Um, Would you say that's a, a typical sort of move from someone who is more on the narcissistic end where they can just jump mm-hmm. ship and not really yeah. process or acknowledge much? <clears throat> I would say so. I think, um, you know, if you think about like that first couple of weeks of being in a new relationship, you're like lit on fire, like everything's amazing. And mm. so it's a huge distraction from real life, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's absolutely a distraction tool. I think, I think, narcissism could for sure play a role in it. I also think it largely depends on our attachment style Mm. um, and that people that are on the spectrum, right? So there's a spectrum to attachment on one side is avoidant in the middle is secure. And on the other side is the anxious. If you're of the anxious attachment style, you're probably going to want to, you're going to have a tendency to jump into a relationship much sooner. First of all, because you don't have that secure feeling of, no, I'm going to be all right. This hurts like hell, but I bet there's something good that comes out of this and I'm going to be okay. Um, And then the avoidant tends to just like hole up in their own little space and avoid. Um, So the anxious is probably the one that's going to be like, and I have to find something else. They're going to jump into that much more quickly. I mean, the avoidant could as well. And I think when it comes to the narcissistic personality type, the avoidant, they are very avoidant Mm. because they can be. They don't have to deal with anything. They avoid it. It's a wonderful tactic on their part. (laughs) Mm. Mm. I think avoidance feel quite deeply, though, and I think the minute that that feeling starts to open up, they're just like, this is all too much. I've dated avoidant people before. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the moment stuff gets real, it's like, no, nah, I can't do it, not touching it. You know, it just, yeah, it's, it's too overwhelming for them. And some of us live with our emotions each day and we that's that's what's normal to us. To others, it's so foreign. They're like, mm-hmm. nah, I know that it's going to unravel all my trauma, all like it's, I think they know that they've got years of therapy ahead of them mm-hmm. if they even bother to face that. Do you yeah. think that people have the capacity to become uh, or to move away from one attachment style and go into another if they really want to do mm-hmm. the work? Yeah. I think it's about doing the work and really developing a consciousness of your behaviors and consciously shifting your behaviors to sort of retrain on a neurobiological level. Like, oh, I don't uh, look at, look at me, look at me do this thing. I don't have to do it that way. I could actually do it this way. I think mean, that's one way that we shift our attachment style the other way is by being in relationship with a secure. So if we're avoidant or we're anxious, like I am an anxious, forever was an anxious attachment style, but then I was with a secure. And so then what happened is I, he, two, one of two things can happen. He could have moved more towards my anxious, but he was like a super secure. So I tended to move towards him because he was so clear and his secure mm. that he held that boundary for me of like, well, that's a deal breaker. Well, I'm out. Why don't <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to accept that. Mm. And even though that might've been hard for me and I would push back and be like, what? It actually was so healthy for me because it pulled me into more secure. 
which is where I am now is much more on the secure. I mean, I still have my anxious stuff, but mm. I think, I think really how we learn to move towards secure is by being with a secure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> now, obviously when we break up with someone with, there's a grieving process mm-hmm. and I, I dare say that getting divorced would be right up there with moving house and losing someone to a death. Yeah. So yeah. how, how long does it normally take to get over the grief of a divorce on average? Mm-hmm. So I tell my clients a year, like mm. grieving is a year. You've got to go through the year of firsts. And that is with um, the death of a loved one. That's with a relocation. Um, that's with uh, a divorce because the year of first, the first birthday, the first Christmas, the first this, the first that, mm. um, you have to get through the anniversary, right? You have to get through the year of first. So mm. I say a year. I don't think that means like, all right, cool, done. But I do think it means we are further removed from like the the sort of the deep, deep pain of it. Yeah, yeah. And for you personally, when you divorced your mm-hmm. ex-husband, mm-hmm. was it about a year for you or would you say it was shorter, longer? <laughs> well, see, here's where I think kids in divorce. And I think there's two kinds of conversations. It's like, we can talk about the divorces where there weren't kids. And then we have to talk about the divorces where there were kids, because when there were kids, so I would say a year, if there's no kids and you're really doing the work and you're really working to heal. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of know thyself like cons, you know, really get in there. But then if there's kids, what happens is like your ex never goes away (laughs) because well, if they're shared custody, I suppose if he disappears, he disappears. If the dad jets, the dad jets and you've got the kids or whatever. But like if they're shared custody, mm-hmm. you got divorced and you still need to interact with your ex almost every day. Mm-hmm. So it's like this. Did I really get divorced or <laughs> did I really end a bad relationship? I still feel like I'm in it. I just don't live with him anymore. Yeah. So I think there's like it's complicated. Right. So it's hard to say in a year's time. Does somebody who's divorced with kids get over it? I think that the grief, if there's grief, they get over it. But I think what enters then can be anger and can Mm -hmm. be resentment. Like, why do I have to still deal with like, I like, this isn't cool. And then if there's continued court battles or custody issues or child support, I mean, to me, it's like in some situations, the divorce doesn't end till your youngest turns 18 and is off to uni. And that's one thing that a lot of my clients have to like come to terms with within their divorces. Especially if the ex-partner you're dealing with makes co-parenting very, very difficult. So exactly. you moved to the UK. Uh, I can only assume your ex isn't in the UK. Right. He's yeah. in the States. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. does he see yeah. the kids or doesn't see the kids? Um. He, so... We split when my daughter was one yeah. and shared custody up until when my oldest was 16. Mm. And I was literally stuck in Colorado in the States because of court custody orders mm. um, until she was 16, until we could petition the court to move, mm-hmm. at which point we did. And so we moved here three years ago. And so when she was 16 and now she's off to uni and I have two other children from my 
next marriage mm. after him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all here now, but he basically, yeah, at 16, I did win the court hearing and we could leave and he sees her and that, and the best part is that their relationship is now amazing. Whereas for 16 years, it was hell, like yeah. pure hell. Yeah. What coping strategies so. do you have for people coming? I'm not going to just say women, but men and women. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes men get the raw end of the deal, and I've seen that happen to exactly. them as well. What, exactly. are, what coping strategies do you have for people coming out of divorce? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, first of all, to go slow. Like just take your time. Don't get in another relationship as like tempting as it is. And particularly because of this, if there's children and I'm working with, I'm working with somebody right now that's going through this. Mm. If there's children and you quickly get into another relationship, your children actually experience another loss, which is my parents split and that was a loss. And now dad or mom is with somebody else. They feel that energetic that energetic split. We can't be in a new relationship and still be 110% for our kids. It's just energetically, it's not going to work that way. Mm. Um, So it's just like, just wait, wait, give your kids and you that one year of healing and actually name it, name it as a loss, name it. Not all loss has to be like horrible and dark and terrible, but like no, this is something we're going through. This is a change. Loss has changed. Loss is now life looks different. Mm. Um, so I think language it in that way for yourself and for your kids, for any family that's kind of up in your grill about like any of it, just be like, look, yeah, it's a loss and it doesn't have to be horrible either. It's going to mm. feel bad for a while, but maybe there is something different that can come out of this. For sure, for sure. And you also mentioned one of the biggest losses is people that you were connected with together, they're going to pick sides, sometimes yeah. maybe unfairly, and, yeah. it, you know, there's a bias there. And then yeah. that can be quite traumatic because your social life as you knew it obviously then starts to look very, very differently, no doubt feelings of loneliness and stuff settle mm-hmm. in. When you mm-hmm. divorced your ex-husband, did you were you shocked by the people that you lost in that process? And then what did you do to get that support network to help you through all the grief? Um, I mean, it was tricky. Like I was shocked. I still am kind of shocked by what I'll just sometimes pick up on, on social media. And I think even because I then moved my daughter away from him or whatever, you know, I Mm. still, it's like, really, we're still at this (laughs) 19 Mm. years later, whatever. Okay. But I think, uh, so that's the first part is like, yeah, it was very shocking. And how, how did I, how did I help build my own support system around that? Um, I think for me, I didn't really know how to, um, and what I, what helped was my therapist and my coach Mm -hmm. and my trainer and all the things like, I didn't know it wasn't like people were coming towards me and being like, here, I want to be your support system. And I actually was young when I had my daughter and none, nobody in my peer group had had a kid yet or even been married yet. It was like, I was the first to do all that. And then the first to get divorced. And so there wasn't that, How young there wasn't you? that feeling. 25. <clears throat> Shit. So yeah. you'd already been married. So it wasn't like 25. Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, teen yeah. pregnancy or anything young, but it was, you know, I, I, 
it was in the middle of your twenties, right? Which is typically when you want to be just having fun and not thinking about stuff. So yeah, I think what saved me, honestly, when I look back was trainer, coach, an amazing gym, like amazing gym classes, because that was like a place I could put all of this energy and this frustration and this sadness. And it also was like, I would go to classes or go to like, I do always like small group workouts or CrossFit or something where it felt like there was this community Mm. and I didn't have to talk to anybody, but it felt like we were doing something together. And it was like this release and this output. And so that was really important. My therapist was really important. And then for me, it was like a lot of spiritual reading. Again, like I said earlier, like I had to find I, it's like this physical body and all that I was, wasn't good enough. I, it was like <laughs> failing me. I had to find energy from another source that, that yeah. I felt could sustain me. Yep. I yeah. can relate yeah. to the, the spiritual side of things and turning to spirituality when you're dealing with a traumatic <clears throat> event and just the comfort yeah. around that. And very much yeah. the reminder of the lessons that come with the breakdown of certain relationships, jobs, um, yeah. what have you. If you could get divorced all over again, God willing, it doesn't happen. What would you do differently this time, knowing what mm-hmm. you know now? I think I would realize that um, they're really, I would hold this vision of the life that I, I really want and mm. not get destroyed by what was happening to me in the moment, mm. not feel like I was cursed or something like my life was over, but really clearly I would write it out. I would write out the exact vision of the life that I wanted. Mm. I would vision board it. I would meditate on it. I would have a mantra. I would just be like, okay, this is the life I'm living now. Mm. And this is so temporary Mm -hmm. because all we know about life right now is it's so temporary. And there is something after this. And rather than focus on what's happening now, that doesn't feel good. I want to focus on what I want my life to look like. Um, and just keep that as strong as possible. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Okay. Awesome. Now if someone wants to come to you and they, mm-hmm. you know, you start working with them. How, like, how long do you normally work with someone who's dealing mm-hmm. with trauma? I know it's probably, it's, it varies from person to person, but on average, yeah. when you're going through clinical therapy with someone, what's yeah. the average time span with someone? Um, okay. This, this is always such a tricky question for me because for whatever reason, mm. I will answer the question. It's mm. just hard because, um, so I've been doing this work for a long time, like, um, 16 years, I feel like. And I've literally had clients the entire, the same clients the entire time. Not that they've come to me every week, mm. not that they've even come to me every month, but like most of the clients I have, and I have a pretty full practice and pretty full programs, like they, um, I won't see them for three years and then they're back. You know, Mm. it's like, so I feel like that's, so how long, (laughs) I would say I work really intensely with people for about a month or two in the beginning. And then everybody tends to drop down to like once every two weeks, once every three weeks. And we tend to go at it that way for about a year. Yeah, And then I would say, I don't see people for six months to a year. And then they come back. Sometimes I don't see people for three years and then they come back. And so there's this beautiful exchange of like, I have been with these people for a decade and a half. I've been invited to their weddings, to their, um, 
bat mitzvahs to <laughs> the funerals to graduations to I mean it's just like we're part of each other's lives um so and and what I want to say about that is like to me that is what healing is it's re- mm. it's relational it's building relationship with somebody that you really trust and you feel like is the scaffolding that holds you or a part of you up, they give you some structure to look towards. And I think that can happen from a therapist or a coach or a trainer or a mentor or your grandmother. <laughs> but like, It's just this, or a spiritual teacher. It's just this sense of I have relationship with somebody who I so fully and wholly trust mm. and like feel their heart so strongly that it's their heart connected to mine, which is like ultimately the medicine. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, look, yeah. and that's the thing about trauma, isn't it? It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a six month, and it's done. It, mm-hmm. it's probably a case of moving through life, and a new situation might re-trigger some of those old emotions. And it's only until we face that situation years after yeah. the divorce, for example, or years after the event that occurred, that we then have to deal with something else. But I like mm-hmm. how you do have clients that come back to you and touch base with you because I think mm-hmm. it's great to constantly touch base with a coach from time to time and just have those little mm-hmm. tune-ups once every six months, once a year. And yeah. I don't think anyone is ever fully healed or ever above seeing a coach. You know, yeah. you, you couldn't drive a car for two years straight and not get it serviced and expect it to run amazingly. It just doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't work that That's way. Right. So That's people right. People need to see themselves in a very similar fashion. You're a car, right. you need a service, go see a coach. It's that simple. That's right. So. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I don't think I have any other questions on that. Yeah. But I'm okay. sure a lot of people would have questions moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now, they want to come and work with you personally. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the first call with you look like? Yeah. Um, it's just a free consultation with me that you can book through my website. And um, I, we just chat and I hear from you what's going on and what you want to work on and what you've mm. tried and what's worked and what hasn't worked and um, kind of what your goals are. Um, <clears throat> and really, the idea with that is that you get a feel of who I am. Mm. And you get to choose whether I feel like the right fit for you. Um, Time and time again, I think it always comes down to this. It's not the approach and it's not the technique. It's the person that you're working with. The fit, Mm -hmm. the relationship has to feel right for it to be effective. It's got to be a really healthy energy exchange, doesn't it? Really has to. Yes. There's yeah. so many people that probably teach the same things, but it's mm-hmm. do our energies collide well? Do they blend well? Do I relate to you? Do I like mm-hmm. feel like I know and trust you? Then yeah, okay. we can work together. So yeah, it's really yeah. important. I think either people like you or they don't. And that's just <laughs> life, isn't it? So that's just life. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So I do okay. have that link in the comments below, in the show notes below. Right. You guys can um suss that one out there. And we also have Laurel's on Instagram and you have a divorce healing circle on Facebook. Is that right? On Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What's that about? So that's just a community of women. I do Facebook lives once a week on there and it's, and then I post a couple times a week. 
it's ultimately it's emotional support. That's what I've really created it for is if somebody's really gotten triggered or something has happened and they need a place to find camaraderie and support, Mm. that is a wonderful place to be. It's also connected with my eight week um, heal post-divorce healing program. And so a lot of the women in that, not all the women, definitely, but a lot of the women in that Facebook group are doing the program. So I'll talk about some of the themes that are in the program, like the neurobiology and breaking up with patterns and attachment and um, anger and resentment. So I encourage people to go to that group. I mean, that's just a free resource. Just ask to join and there you go. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is it just called Divorce Healing Circle? It is. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. Again, I'll put that in the show notes below. You guys can suss that out. Um, Might as well utilize that free service. It's not like they need to be a client to take advantage of that. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Any parting advice, Laurel, for people? Yeah, I think one thing came up. I'm just going to say that don't let divorce define who you are and don't let it contribute to any limiting negative belief systems that you have about yourself. Like you didn't get a divorce because you necessarily did something wrong. Things Mm -hmm. happened and a divorce was necessary. Um, And just think of it as a time of breaking apart from something that wasn't working and Mm -hmm. really try to remain objective. Like don't take it on as yours. Don't define yourself by it. I think that's just how I want to end. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And when you're not, when you're not working with clients, what summer hobbies do you like to do and be part of? Okay. So I love Pilates. I love working out, doing anything, working out. I'm a big, yeah. like, love my food and making my three meals a day. I love my reading material. I love my podcasts. I love working out. I love swimming. Surf, oh, surfing's probably my favorite. Yeah. Just, um, Surfing yeah. in the UK. That's interesting. Wet yeah. suits all the time. <laughs> yeah. So where are you, where oh, yeah. about the UK are you based? Are you close to the ocean? I'm in, yeah, we're right near the ocean. We're in Devon. Yeah. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. So did yeah. you meet your new partner over there? Um, no, he's Canadian. I met him in the States. Yep. Um, yeah, but no, I'm actually, so I, I was born and raised in the States, but I'm actually British. I have two, I have dual citizenship. So I have family in the UK. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss living in the States? Um, no. No? Why is that? (laughs) No. The States? Okay. I think I miss living in the States in the 90s. If I could go back to the 90s, I think, Mm. or the early 2000s, right now, I just not as, it's so polarized. Mm. Um, It feels like sticky to live in the States. I don't know how else to say it. It's like energetically just kind of sticky. Yeah. And it needs to clean up its act before I want to go back. It's basically, it's like walking to a messy kitchen to me. And I'm like, uh-uh, mm-hmm. I'll come back when it's clean. It'd be so political over there. I can't imagine. Like, I think Melbourne is very similar. Like, Melbourne mm-hmm. has definitely copped. There's a, a big divide, I think, at times between left and right wing, you know, especially yeah. since post-COVID, everyone everyone yeah. all of a sudden has, you know, got a political hat on or it's calmed down a lot, but financially yeah. Melbourne's still recovering from a lot yeah. of the effects. We were in yeah. some of the worst lockdowns. So, yeah, I know. it's not a nice place. So that's why I think moving back here April last year, I got homesick when I was living on the Gold Coast. I thought I'll come mm-hmm. back, this and that. 
And it's just not the same. It's just not the same mm-hmm. living here. It's very, very expensive now to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're mm-hmm. getting smashed with interest rates and things like that. So I'm just like, nah, yeah. if I'm going to pay yeah. top dollar for everything, I might as well do that in the sun. So, you know, head back up north <laughs> at some point. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, Laurel, I want to thank you again yeah. for jumping on. Um, it's mm-hmm. been a fun chat, really informative. So I hope people reach out to you and want to work with you yeah. and move past their trauma. So, yeah, thanks again. And we will talk okay. to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you.